the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The first Sunday after Trinity is a day of transition on the church calendar. We have traveled through that part of the church year where the revelation of God in Christ the Spirit unfolds chronologically in a series of feasts. Now we begin the long green season of Trinity where each Sunday highlights some aspect of the revelation. The epistle summarizes what we've come to know and the central implication of the revelation. St. John writes, quote, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Not that we loved God. The revelation we have received was not given to us because of our zeal and holy behavior. Rather, as Romans says, quote, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But there are behavioral implications of the gift. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If we have received the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Spirit, despite our failures and our sins, then we should love others despite their failures and their sins. In other words, we ought to become the kind of people who love the way God loves. God does not love us because we deserve it. God loves us because God is love, and that is what love does. If, as Romans says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us, then we will be full of love, as God is full of love. And that love will naturally flow out from us towards others. Or to turn it around, our love for others will be the measure of the degree to which we have received the love of God. This provides a framework for understanding the gospel parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We can say that the rich man was in Hades because he did not love Lazarus. Or we could say more accurately that the rich man did not love Lazarus because he did not know the love of God. The parable challenges some prevailing assumptions about prosperity and God's blessing. Some parts of the Bible, like the book of Proverbs, assert the principle of what we might call retributive justice. The righteous prosper because God's blessing is upon them, and the wicked are punished because God opposes them. However, other parts of the Bible, like the book of Job, challenge this assumption. We are told that Job suffers precisely because he is righteous. The New Testament brings this nuance into clearer focus to the cross. In the light of the cross, we understand that suffering sometimes brings us closer to God, and prosperity sometimes separates us from God. 
The New Testament teaches us that wealth can be a source of temptation as well as a source of blessing. <clears throat> as St. Paul wrote to Timothy, quote, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The wealth of the rich man in the parable had separated him from God. Because he did not know God, he did not love Lazarus. He did not view his possessions as a gift from God. Therefore, he had no impulse to take what he had received from God and use it to help others. The primary ways we guard against this temptation, the primary ways, are through the spiritual disciplines of tithing and the practice of generosity. When we tithe, we give back to God the first part of what he gives to us. And this is the way we acknowledge that what we have received is a gift. We guard against greed by always being generous, by always being ready to share what we have received from God with others. As St. Paul wrote to Timothy, quote, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus can be a source of anxiety as we consider its implications for us. It calls to mind the teaching of Matthew 2540, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And it leads to a question. Will our failure to give to every beggar we see on the street lead us to land in some hot and southern post-mortem destination? In fact, it's not possible for us to meet every need we see. Jesus himself did not heal every sick person he saw. And some of our charity, some of the natural ways we are charitable are economically counterproductive. For example, while it may make us feel good, it might relieve our anxiety to give money to everyone we see on the street, there are unintended consequences of this action. We are essentially paying them to sit there. And many people decide that they like that job. To be generous does not mean that every needy or manipulative person is entitled to the contents of our wallet. But neither does it mean that we can hide behind our gate like the rich man and cut ourselves off from the needs we see around us. Seeing everything beyond our gate is not our concern. 
Our essential vocation as Christians is to keep ourselves connected to God through our prayer, to continually experience God's love through prayer, and then to be responsive to the needs of others, to pass that love on as we have time and opportunity as we are called to do. The parable teaches us that we should focus on relationship and proximity. The parable implies that Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate every day. The rich man's condemnation was not a failure to give to some random beggar he passed once on the street. The rich man's condemnation was his failure to respond to a need that was always before him. He could have developed a relationship with Lazarus. He could have given him physical relief, friendship, and, if necessary, some form of accountability and direction. Though most needs present themselves to us in monetary ways, the primary poverty of our time is relational. People are separated from God and are alienated from significant and deep relationships with others. Therefore, our monetary giving should, in general, be connected with the building of relationships. When we learn someone's name, and listen to their story. We can more effectively discern what they really need. We can more effectively love. And the relationship itself will be the primary source of healing. This is how God loves us. He has entered into a relationship with us in Christ through the Spirit. He knows us deeply and knows how to give us what we really need, even when it is not what we are asking for. As her epistle said, quote, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.